Welcome to Common Sense Leadership Podcast with your host, Dr. L.D. Bennett. Common Sense Leadership is an influencer podcast that will make you think, laugh, and act. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to subscribe and tell a friend to also listen and subscribe. Now, let's join our host, Dr. L.D. Bennett. Hi, and welcome to the first Friday in March, March the 5th. As you know, March is Women's History Month, and this month I have some exciting guests that will be on talking about women and women's issues and also talking about women's upward mobility. And my guest today is one of my most dear friends, uh, Wendy Davidson. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Wendy, but I want to give you the, the theme for the month. Our theme for the month is collaboration, building a supportive team for a successful career. Collaboration building a supportive team for a successful career. And when I thought of this, this topic and this theme, Wendy was one of the first people that I thought about because she has had such an incredible, incredible leadership journey. And I wanted her to come on to talk about that journey and to also talk about collaboration and how women, uh, how we as women build that career that we really, really want and then kind of exclude the things that we don't want. And uh, she was the perfect person for us to, to have on to start this first month. So Wendy, welcome. Well, hello, and thank you for the invitation. You know, you're one of those people that when you call, I respond. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Wendy, I'm gonna tell people how I first met you, and then I'm gonna ask you if you would to share your leadership journey and where you are right now. So guys, uh, a couple of years ago, I started doing some work with the network of executive women. I started doing that work maybe five or six years ago. And then I was blessed to have another opportunity to work with that group in Chicago, I guess about three years ago and had an opportunity. Hey, there's Wendy. And Wendy was on the other side of the room. At that time, she was with Kellogg and they were doing some phenomenal things over there. And she was our keynote speaker for the day. And she talked about some things that really resonated with me around collaboration, how you really need to be intentional about what you want, not only in your life, but also in your career. And so I wanted Wendy to come on and not only share her leadership journey, but tell us what you're doing right now, Wendy, because you're doing something different, right? I am. I am with that. Well, I will, I, I will tell you what I'm doing now, um, and okay. then I'll tell you kind of how I got here. Um, I am thrilled because I am leading the Americas for Glambia Performance Nutrition. Uh, Glambia is a global leader in health and wellness and has three really great businesses. We have a dairy business. Uh, we have a Glambia Nutritionals business where we're supplying ingredients to lots of large firms. And then we have our CPG business and our brands, which is my business. And I'm just thrilled. It's a fantastic business to be in. Everybody's focused on active lifestyles, immunity, and health and nutrition. And so this is a great space to be in. And so for me, it was, uh, it was sort of a culmination of lots of experience. But the decision to join a company in the midst of a global pandemic uh, was either brilliant or incredibly foolish because it's, <laughs> it's a challenging time in business, but it's also a challenging time uh, really to onboard completely virtual with both your team, but also with your parent company. Um, but I think the lessons for me over my career have actually prepared me for this. And, and it really is sort of what our topic is. And when you and I met, one of the things I had talked about then was my leadership journey, which I talk about in three buckets. 
learning to lead myself, learning to lead teams, and then learning how to lead the business. And, and I really do think that all three of those for me were um, awakenings. They're opportunities for me to really be both self-aware, but also aware of the impact that I can have on the people around me. I started my career actually at Tyson Foods um, in sales and moved up into marketing and then business management. Went from Tyson uh, to McCormick and Company and led the US and Latin America in the um, ingredients and custom flavors business. Went to Kellogg's, which brought us here to Chicago and was leading our away from home business in all the small store format through front and back of house in food service. And then that led me to Glambia. The interesting thing in all three of those prior companies to Glambia, where each of them had a challenge, a really pivotal crucible business moment that required both all the sort of grit and determination you have, but also the need to have a really strong team in place that could respond with resiliency, but also with a, almost a, an eye for optimism and some ingenuity in how to respond to it. When I was at Tyson, we went through a variety of issues with avian influenza and with BSE or mad cow disease, but also Hurricane Katrina and the impact on our operations, which I had literally just taken over our US operations in poultry. And four weeks later, we had Hurricane Katrina and we were operating as the economy for many of our locations in those hardest hit areas. When I went to McCormick, we had challenges with our Latin American business around FX and having to deal with trade issues and tariff issues. At Kellogg's last year, my whole business, we had renamed away from home. And six months later, we all saw that we literally couldn't go away from home. And to have a team of people have to learn what they can control and focus on that, but also knowing that so much of what they couldn't control is what was impacting the business. And that became the mantra, was control what you can control, monitor what you can't, take care of one another, and prepare ourselves for the future. We knew the market would recover, so how do we demonstrate business resiliency and leadership resiliency to be prepared for what comes post-COVID? Uh, and that's essentially what we're doing within my business now is, do we have a, a strategy that is clear and compelling? Do we have a team that's aligned around that with right people in the right roles, but also a sense of purpose and an opportunity for growth? And then making sure that you give people the freedom within that framework to be able to, to do great things. I tell my team all the time, don't expect any acts of brilliance to come out of my office because they're there won't be a big bright light. There won't be a big shining moment. My job isn't to deliver acts of brilliance. It's to ensure that we've got clarity of focus, to put really, really bright people in great places to do great things, and then make sure that they've got the resources, the autonomy, and the authority to make those happen. Hey, Wendy, talk to me. You, you talked about uh, just really being more self-aware. How do you help someone be self-aware and then, and, and, I, and I, this is for lack of a better phrase, and then fit in with a team? Uh, because a lot of people I deal with, and I know you deal with a lot of people that say, well, you know, I can't be my authentic self. You're hearing that quite a bit, but we really want people to show up at their best. How do we say to folks, how do you, how do you help a person move from, 
out of their heads. I want to be my best self, but I want to fit in. I want to be a part of a team. How do you make that transition for them? Well, you know, you, you tell people feedback is a gift, but feedback can also be a curse. Because if that feedback starts to live rent-free in your head, it becomes self-defining. So it's helping people not only to seek the feedback, but to also put it in perspective. Um, everyone is shaped by our experiences, and those experiences shape beliefs, and those beliefs are what we take actions on. I think when people say or do things that are um, just don't feel good in the workplace, it isn't that people are intentionally trying to be unkind or, um, or, or difficult to work with. Although there are people that I think are just genuinely unkind and are difficult <laughs> to work with. But I, I think for the most part, people come at things, but they see it through their, the filter of their own experience. And part of being self-aware means also extending grace and self-awareness to other people and catching yourself and say how they're responding to me doesn't make me feel good and it's not bringing out the best in me. So I need to put it in perspective and then decide how to act on it. I had a mentor once who said, take all feedback in, keep the best, lose the rest. And, and I've really thought about that. And there are times where you deal with somebody that is just so difficult. But I find myself, I will take notes while we talk. The note taking isn't because I really want to write down what they said, but it is a way for me to take a pause in what they're saying and decide what of what they're giving me as feedback is the best that I will keep that's useful. What if it is just their filter speaking and not actually words of wisdom? And what if it is stuff that I just need to get out of my mind and put on the cutting floor? Um, every great movie ever made probably has half the movie that's just cut out and on the cutting room floor. Our lives are the same way. There's a whole lot of content. So let's make sure that we keep the things that we can truly action and don't take the stuff in that's just going to swirl and it becomes that negative soundtrack that you play i don't want to hear the negative soundtrack that said you can't be so full of yourself that you live off of your past experience that you don't actually adapt based on new experiences and so as i've gone into every new company or every new team i do think through what are the things that i've done in my past that i can apply to this situation what are the things that I don't know about this place or this team? And how do I give myself the grace of sitting still and just listening for a period of time and learning? And then where are the places that I need to take action that are pain points that people are being honest with me in these first few months because they can. I mean, there's a benefit in being new. So when people give you feedback, those are times where you can use your newness for real meaningful impact that will earn you political capital to take on the bigger stuff later. And so the advice I would give to people is take it all in, choose the things that you really find useful for now, choose the things that you will find useful when you have more political capital you can act on, and then the rest of it put on the cutting room floor. Oh, wow. I love the whole cutting room floor uh, analogy. I do. Uh, talk about Talk about if I'm on a team and I need to collaborate with this team, they know me and I know them. How do I, how do I hit the restart button 
with this team so that we can we can make the most of our time together. Because sometimes we have so much baggage that we bring to a team. Oh, I've worked with her before and I've worked with him before, so I know what they're gonna do. And then we proceed into this collaboration or pseudo collaboration thinking and giving the impression that we're open-minded when we're really not. So how can we jumpstart uh, that collaboration after we've been in it and after we've worked with people in the past, but now need to kind of restart things. How do we do that? You know, there. have you ever um, had people do that exercise where you ask them to write something with their non-dominant hand? And it's so uncomfortable. But then when you go back and you write with your dominant hand, you're much more careful in how you write because you realize how easy it is to do. But you forget that when you're in the moment. When I start with an existing team, but working on a new scope of work, I want people to get out of their comfort zone. So get them into their non-dominant hands so that we can really get to some smooth sailing and really great ideation. And I think the best way to do that is actually put people in non, um, non-dominant roles on the team. So if you put a cross-functional team together, ask the supply chain person to take the point of view of the commercial team. Ask the commercial lead to take the point of view of the supply chain team or the finance team. So you're asking somebody to put themselves in someone else's shoes, think about it from another function, and then when you get through that sort of first breaking, and it's really just an ideation exercise, you're just putting a a data dump on a, on a board, letting everybody just free flow thinking. Then when you come back to the, to the problem a couple of days later, but you put everybody back in their traditional roles, they have this whole data dump from someone else's perspective, but they've also provided feedback from their non-dominant perspective. And I think it allows people to have both empathy and effectiveness in a new area that they're Oh, wow. That's great. So I'm going to go back to something you said earlier about, you know, you're shifting and you you shared your leadership journey, how you're going from one company, you went from one company to another and almost every company you went to, there was some crisis. There was something going on. Talk to us about courage. And uh, you've demonstrated, that's one thing I've always admired about you is like, okay, I'm going to try something new. And I think you shared a story about your dad, something your dad said to you. And so if you would talk about uh, your courage, because it does take courage to go from a place where you are successful to saying, you know what, it's time to move on. It's time to, to try something different. Can you talk to us about courage and about meeting a challenge? Yeah, I, um, you know, I don't think I would have ever described myself as courageous. I always thought that I was the person who just likes to color outside the lines. I, I ask a lot about, well, how might we do that? What could we do? Some of it is just I have an um, insatiable curiosity intellectually to just take on new challenges. And the story that I think you're talking about that I gave was when I was, when I was really young, my, my, I have a brother who's three years older than I am. My mother ran a gourmet cooking store and my father was an executive in HR. And we grew up in, in a small town in Iowa, so in the Midwest. My dad would bring home um, business colleagues for dinner uh, candidates, officer candidates that he was interviewing, and they would sit down to dinner with our family. Well, our family is one that we, we like to openly debate. 
So every night before dinner, my dad would have my brother and I read the front page of the newspaper, and we were going to openly debate what was in the news. And what he always said was, you're entitled to have an opinion, but it needs to be an educated and informed opinion. I don't want to hear what your friends tell you. I don't want to hear what your teachers tell you. I want to hear that you have a fully formed thought of your own. I'm never going to tell you what's right or wrong, but we're going to have the ability to have dialogue. What I realized later he was teaching me was that because I was, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, he was teaching me that my age and my gender and my experience did not limit my ability to have a point of view and that I needed to, whatever table I was at, I needed to use that seat to have impact, not to sit back and wait until, and you see people do this in the work world. Well, I'm not at whatever level. So I was invited to the room and I'm gonna sit and listen, but I'm not actually gonna contribute. Well, you weren't invited to the room to listen. You were invited to the room because the belief was that you had something to contribute and we want your ideas and your thoughts. So when I apply that to some of the things that I've walked into, I, I like to build things. I, I like to build teams. I like to see people build their careers. I like to build businesses and try new things. But what I like more than anything is when somebody says, you know, I had an idea, and then to follow up with, well, how might we do that? Because I think my job isn't to say, we tried that before, or here's all the reasons why it won't work, or that's not something that's gonna be viable. It's instead to say, okay, let me give you the freedom to explore that. Let me help challenge the questions you should be considering. You'll get us to a point where it is either so compelling we need to move forward, or you convince yourself why that's not the right idea and we'll pivot somewhere else. So my job is to help them, help coach them to find the answer. It isn't to tell them yay or nay. And I actually think that's one of the biggest challenges that people have in the business world is there's sort of this view that the higher up in the organization you go, the smarter you are. Um, you know, I did notice that the higher up I went, my jokes got funnier, uh, my ideas got better. They really weren't, but it was that people were unwilling to tell me that that really wasn't a very funny joke or that's not a really good idea. So I need to catch things in the moment and actually ask them those questions. I'll say things like, I have an idea I'm thinking about, you know, how can you make that better? Because I need to give them the freedom to bring their own thinking to the table and have us challenge things. I, um, I was very fortunate early in my career to start at Tyson. Tyson is a company that at least at the time I was there invested very large P&Ls including operations to very young people. And they gave you the freedom in a framework to take risks. And it was a very entrepreneurial, you owned it, you drove it, you were allowed to make mistakes. You just didn't wanna make the same mistake twice or make mistakes that were significantly material. And so I learned as I moved up to actually build that in my teams. I needed to give people freedom to run a sizable P&L to make mistakes and then help coach them along. And what I find now is you go into most CPG companies, you have people that run a PL but have never run a plant. Um, or you have people who have run a very large PL but they've never had to carry the risk because the decision making was made at very high levels of the organization. I was lucky that they gave me a chance to take risks, which I think made me braver than I maybe deserved to be 
And I've carried that with me to the places I've gone to work. You know, uh, risk-taking, I think, is something that a lot of people, especially women and people of color, kind of shy away from. I don't want to take a risk because if I make a mistake, then I won't get another opportunity to make another mistake. I won't get a, another invitation uh, to, to sit in the room. And, and I thank you for, for sharing some of your, your experiences. And a couple of things I wanna ask you before I let you go, because I know you're like crazy busy, um, is when you talk about, uh, when you talked about all the moves you made uh, and you talked about the challenges that each of those moved, though mainly they were external challenges that you had absolutely no control over, Hurricane Katrina, the pandemic. Talk about where we are right now and what what challenges do you see uh, for us uh, in terms of this pandemic and what opportunities do you see in this pandemic? Well, I think I am wired for crisis um, because I, I love these kinds of challenges. I think that this is where this kind of disruption forces unique partnerships in the industry a different data set than what we've ever looked at, anticipating where the consumer is going to head, um, thinking beyond. Mm -hmm. I have a good friend who took up motorcycle riding when she was in her mid-40s, and she was talking about the leadership lesson she got from it was learning that the most dangerous part of motorcycle riding is when you're going through a turn. It's not the speed of the straightaway, it's when you're going through a turn. Your natural instinct is to look down at the bike or down at the ground and focus on the turn in front of you um, instead of where you're headed to. And that's where people get into trouble. And so what you learn in motorcycle riding is not to look at the turn, but to look through the turn to where you want to go. And you point yourself in that direction. And that's where you're focused on. I look at this period of time in the same way, is we have an opportunity to look through the turn through the crisis and anticipate where the marketplace will land. But we are seeing this massive disruption and acceleration of change that probably would have happened anyway in many industries is the disruption in many ways are things that would have happened anyway, but we've accelerated the pace of change three to five years in many ways. Technology is an example where you have some consumer groups that were very uncomfortable using technology, especially around e-commerce, that have dramatically leapfrogged to the future because not only did they have to, but they found that it was so easy. So digital adoption and home delivery really took off. At the same time, we've seen really unique and exciting partnerships of non-traditional partners, where in the past you might have had very discrete swim lanes in the marketplace. We're now seeing unique partnerships between data companies and delivery companies, between even in the space of food service distribution. You had food service distributors because away from home was so disrupted, had excess capacity. You had retail wholesale distributors who were short capacity because of the significant demand in retail, all of a sudden you now have channel partners that before didn't exist. So I think there's a, that the exciting thing is the acceleration of the pace of change. And, and if I take it a little bit closer to home from a team standpoint, we've, we've heard people talk for years about work anywhere, but you had multi-generational workforces that viewed this in very different ways. If I had a, an older manager who was very used to an eight to five traditional FaceTime work, 
but I was managing a young, fresh out of college millennial who was very comfortable with texting and technology and working from a Starbucks. How do you get those two groups to work together and value each other's work? What we found now is everyone has been forced to work from home and the opportunity for us to rethink what does a workplace look like? It could be that a, an office is more of a collaboration space and you literally can work from anywhere. I also think that video has become the great equalizer. And it's one of the things that I love coming to a new company is there is no corner office, there's no big office on a separate floor you have to take a special elevator to. We all have the same square footage on our screen and the same access. And I've done a series of one-on-one -on -one interviews, one-on-ten, one-on-twenty to meet team members, which is a great way for them to get to know me in a way that they otherwise wouldn't. And of course, during the, during the pandemic, we adopted a kitten. We, you know, we have our puppy here. My husband brings me coffee. And so my team have actually gotten to know me probably more personally because of the pandemic and work from home than they would have otherwise, which probably makes me a bit more human um, and everything is just a little bit, it's a little bit easier to get to know people. That's wonderful, Wendy. And you know what? Your perspective is so refreshing and I'm going to get you out of here on these last two questions. If you could give a, an individual one call to action, what would it be? And then for an organization, if you could give that organization one call to action, what would it be? So if you would. If I could give one piece of advice to an individual, what I would say is that you are a brand. Remember that you are a brand, but you are not only defined by what is on your business card. You're also a whole person. So make sure that you write down on a piece of paper what would be the words you would want somebody to describe you as. And then ensure that, that those are the ways that you show up in every interaction with people, whether it is on text or on email or in a meeting or in a face-to-face. -face, those are all brand building moments to reinforce who you are as a person and how you want to show up to somebody. So if you want to be your authentic self, make sure that your authentic self is also reinforcing the types of things you want people to take away about whether you are collaborative or you are honest or you are innovative or you are brave. All of those are things that should come out in their interactions. My advice to organizations is to walk the talk. In the last 12 months, we have had three corresponding crises all at the same time. We had a health crisis, we had an economic crisis, and we had a social justice crisis. And companies did a great job in responding to the health crisis. And they've done, I think, a lot of work around the economic crisis in ensuring that we're supporting our industries and that we're supporting our communities. There's been fits and starts around social justice. I think some people chose to use it as a moment in time and others are using it as a movement. I would encourage companies to view all three of those crises as pivotal disruptive moments in their business and make conscious decisions to commit to real meaningful change around how you take care of health and wellness for your employees. How do you support an economic model that is resilient 
and that anticipates disruption and prepares for it and views it in light of an exciting change, even if it is really, really troubling disruption in the moment. I think the call to action for companies and for organizations is to ensure that this isn't, this last year is not a moment in time, but it's a movement. And to remember that consumers are watching, our channel partners are watching, our employees both today and in the future are watching. And in the age of transparency, it is very easy for people to be able to distinguish between what you say on your corporate values and how you show up every day. What's it like to work there? What's it like to do business with you? How do your brands show up in the marketplace? Is that also what it looks like inside your organization? So ensure that you are walking the talk and either if you don't intend to make those changes, don't make those statements. But if you're gonna make those statements, then walk the talk. Wow. Wow. Wendy Davidson, everybody. Wendy, you are phenomenal. Yay! I got Wendy. Wendy, you are great. Thank you so much for coming on. And guys, information about Wendy and where she is now, and you can connect with her on LinkedIn. I'll put all that information on our website. Wendy, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for spending part of your Friday with us. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. And always great to chat with you. All right. Thanks a lot, Wendy. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and for supporting me. I don't take your support for granted. I am both grateful and humbled. Join us next week for another episode. And remember to subscribe and ask others to subscribe. Go to our website at commonsenseleadership.org for more detail. Thank you and have a great day. This podcast and omni-channel experience is brought to you by the Walter Cates Foundation, the entertainment and telecommunication industry's leading national foundation dedicated to advocacy around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we are proud to have them as our signature partner. We are very grateful for their generosity and for their support. To learn more, visit waltercates.org. Thank you for joining Common Sense Leadership Podcast with your host, Dr. L.D. Bennett. Visit our website, commonsenseleadership.org for more details. See you next week.